After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. All glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scriptures will be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. I'm an 80s baby. I came of age in the 90s, and I'm a resident of the 21st century. I was also born and raised in the global West. This means that I was raised with an ideology of hyper-individualism. My first thoughts are, how does this affect me? And if I process long enough, I might get to, how does this affect us? With concentric circles widening, the who is included in us. In our society, we have made everything fit the preconceived notion that I am, or at least the concept of me, is the most critical matter of concern. I grew up in a Christian faith 
focused on individual salvation, individual behavior, and individual notions of responsibility. A faith that ultimately made Jesus about me. We even sang songs with lyrics that said things like this. Like a rose trampled on the ground, you, Jesus, took the fall and thought of me above all. A song that makes Jesus' final thoughts on the cross as he is dying about me personally. How wonderful, right? Wrong. We have turned Christianity into the myth of narcissists. The story of a man who falls so in love with his own image that he is unable to leave his reflection in a pond and dies as a result. We are so busy loving our individual selves that even Jesus becomes a reflection of us instead of us a reflection of Jesus. We shape Jesus in our own images instead of allowing ourselves to be shaped in the image of Jesus. Many of us get angry when we don't see ourselves reflected back to us in other Christians. We call those who don't reflect our version of Jesus back to us, we call them heretics. We call them non-believers. We call them backsliders, unorthodox, and many other names and adjectives. We assume that because we don't see ourselves in them, they must not be followers of Jesus. This version of Christianity that many of us grew up in, this is a version of Christianity that has left many of us wounded and scarred. This is a version of Christianity that has very little to do with Jesus and a whole lot to do with ourselves as individuals. If I'm honest with myself, this is a version of Christianity that I still wrestle with letting go of to today. I can't count how many times I have become flustered and furious at people who have disagreed with my version of following Jesus. The other day I was in a conversation with a friend and he challenged my perspective of who Jesus is and I could feel my blood start to slowly boil. I found myself gritting my teeth, clenching my fist as I listened to this obviously wrong version of Jesus being portrayed. I found myself answering sharply, dismissing this person's viewpoints, thinking, of, thinking to myself, this person has no clue. To be fair, this person's perspective of following Jesus was hurtful to others. Still, as much as I want to justify myself in this story, my perspective of following Jesus at that moment was also hurtful. Far too often, we find ourselves arguing about who was right and who was wrong, and it ends up having nothing to do with Jesus. I've developed a mantra that I say to myself quite often to help let go of my inner narcissist version of Jesus me. If that helps you to love Jesus and others more, then cool. No right, no wrong, just love more. When I read the words of Jesus's prayer in John 17, this is what I walked away with. Love Jesus and others more. A few chapters earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not by our correctness, not by our purity, not by our doctrine, or anything else besides loving one another just as Jesus has loved us. Love more. To me, this seems simple, but lo and behold, we begin to argue over what does it mean to love one another? To define love, Jesus starts to talk about unity. In John 17, 23, Jesus says this, I in them and you in me, 
so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Complete unity so that the world will know God loves us even as God the Father loves Jesus. The love that God the Father has for Jesus is shown in the unity between them. And the love that God has for us is shown in the unity that we have. Unity is the testimony of God's love in this world. In John 17, this unity is spoken of using the language of be one. In John 17, 11, Jesus says that they may be one even as we are one. In verses 20 to 23, Jesus says it three more times, that they may all be one, that they may be one even as we are one, that they may become perfectly one. Whenever we can, we wanna try to allow the passage or the book that we are reading to define our terms. But in this case, I feel like Paul, the author of Galatians in the New Testament says it best. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Oneness in Christ breaks down the divisions we have made based on ethnicity, social status, and gender. In Christ is a radical new way of being in this world. We are now a collective identity in Christ. This isn't a loss of difference. Instead, it's a loss of divisions. Oneness in Christ does not mean sameness in Christ. Unity in Christ is often mistaken to mean uniformity in Christ. That is wrong. That way of thinking leads us to divisions. You are not like me, therefore you are not in Christ. That is just flat out wrong. We don't get to make that call. In fact, trying to make that call actually diminishes the world's ability to see the love of God in action. When we read about the first followers of Jesus, we read about the communities that were formed as countercultural movements, not because everyone believed the same, but because everyone was present and equal. In a culture that thrived on divisions, followers of Jesus said, let us not be divided. The ancient world honestly is a lot like our world today, full of man-made divisions. The most radical thing followers of Jesus can do, or the church can do today, is reenact our oneness in Christ. Anytime we feel the urge within us to limit who can be present or in Christ, we are ignoring Jesus's prayer in John 17. We may not do this perfectly, but then again, maybe that's why Jesus prayed this prayer because he knew we would need divine help to make it so. But let us do our best and allow God to do the rest in making Jesus's prayer a reality that enables the world to see God's love in action through us, through all of us, through all of our difference, through all of our loving Jesus and others 